So, I don't know about you, but God speaks to me sometimes through song, um, and it, uh, apparently I have this song uh, on my phone, and uh, randomly, I don't know if you encounter this, but randomly my phone will start playing music over, uh, over my sound system via Bluetooth. I will randomly get a song that will just start playing. I don't know what it is about how my phone is set up or what it is. I'm a technology person, and I still don't know why it is that my phone will play random songs through Bluetooth in my audio system in my car. I don't know why that happens. Somebody could probably fill me in on that later, but uh, it does happen. This song actually played this morning, and I felt like it was perfectly in alignment with what we are talking about in this series and the fact that God cares for us, um, and specifically how it applies to today's message um, there are times in our lives where we feel like we're at the very end. We're at the end of our rope, and there's no way that we can nor should we continue on, that we are done, that, that God might as well go ahead and take us out. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe it's just me. Uh, maybe I'm the only one that's ever felt like, you know what, God, I'm at the end of my rope. Just go ahead and take me home. I'm ready to go now. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I believe there's likely somebody in here that probably feels that way today. And that, that song just kind of spoke truth to me that, you know what, that, that if I will just hang on, if I will just hold out, I can see this glorious unfolding that God has in store for my life. Now, understand that it may not look the way that I think that it should look, but it is still glorious because it is from Him. And if it is from Him, then it is glorious because He is the God of glory. So today we're going to be talking about a dude who was at the end of his rope, this guy um, it's, it's so interesting how he went from being on the top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley so quickly. Uh, this guy's name is Elijah. You may have heard of him. Uh, he actually, what he did is he got sick and tired of the fact that people were worshiping other gods, uh, that Israel had turned away from their one true God, and he said, you know what? You're worshiping these other gods, and it's not okay. We've got this terrible king Ahab who is in charge of us, uh, and his wife is even worse. Her name is Jezebel. And, and what happens is he calls everybody together. And he says, you know what? They got 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. I want you guys to come against my one God and we'll see. We'll have a showdown and we will see who the true God is. So you guys know this story very well probably. Um, they, he says, all right, you guys go first. And they put an altar. They build an altar uh, they, they put a sacrifice on the altar, and he says, all right, have at it. You guys do your thing. They're screaming. They're running around. All these, these prophets are running around, and nothing's happening. You know, the altar's still there, and it's still got the sacrifice on it, and nothing is happening. So Elijah starts making fun of them. He says, where is your God? Maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he is taking a nap, and he doesn't hear you right now. Maybe you should scream a little louder, cut yourselves even more. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's away, and, and maybe he's reading right now, you know. So they, they, he's, he's like taunting them, and, and sure enough, nothing happens because their God is not real, right? Well, Elijah gets up there. He says, okay, it's my turn. You guys sit down. You watch how it's done. I mean, this dude's confident, you know. I mean, I just, I admire the way he approaches this. I mean, he, he's, I mean, he's flexing on these guys. He's like, just watch this. He says, all right, let's put the sacrifice up there, build the altar, 
All right, you guys go get buckets and buckets and buckets of water, dump it on the altar. Matter of fact, why don't you dig a trench around, and we're going to fill up the trench, and we're just going to soak this altar to the point where there's no way anything's going to be caught on fire, no matter what kind of, what kind of fuel you have, what, what kind of lighter you have, what kind of flamethrower you have. This altar is not going anywhere because it is soaked with water. And sure enough, Elijah calls out to God and says, Look, God, you're the one true God. Make it known who you are today. And fire rains down from heaven. I mean, I don't know what you think this would be like, but for me, this would be ultra cool. On the, on the scale of coolness, this uh, scale of 1 to 10, on the coolness scale, this is like 105. You know what I mean? Like this is cool. He calls fire down from heaven, and it consumes the altar. Whoosh! I mean, like the, 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 the water's gone. It turns to steam. Like we just got a pile of ashes. It is like a nuclear bomb has just dropped on this, this altar. I mean, that is so cool to me. And he's like, now what? You know what I mean? Like, he's looking at his guys like, you know what's going to happen to you, right? And he, he says, and, and all of Israel starts standing up. They're cheering. They're like, you know what? He is God, and he is real. And uh, we're, uh, we're not going to bow down and worship any other gods now, right? You remember? And, and they say, like, okay, yeah. And then all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah are killed right there on the spot. Like, gone. So Elijah, I mean, he's the man. You know, I mean, like, I, I, you know, God's the man, but, but Elijah's being used by God, and he like, he's like, man, that is awesome. So Elijah must be feeling pretty good about what he's done, the fact that God is using him. He has responded to God's calling. Um, I can tell you uh, that it is one of the most glorious things in your life to respond to God's calling on your life. Uh, and to commit your whole life to following whatever God you call me to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. That is one of the most glorious things, to be able to surrender to that and to recognize that, you know what, God is calling you just like he has called Elijah, you know, and to recognize the, 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 the honor of that calling from the one true God. But it is also, it is also gut-wrenching at the same time. And sometimes our fear and all of our anxieties and all of our worries creep in. They're not from God, but we allow them to creep in. And we forget, we get out of touch with that calling from God. And therefore, we forget that God cares for us. That we, he has our very lives in his hand. We talk all the time about the, the disciples and how they were in the boat. And Jesus was asleep and they were so afraid that... That they were going to perish, that they were going to drown because the waves are crashing all around them. And Jesus is like, where's your faith? Where, where's your trust in me? Where's your connection with me? And there are times when we get out of connection with God for one reason or another, and we forget that he cares for us. If you have forgotten that God cares for you today, it is not because he cares for you less. It's just that you have forgotten that connection with him and you have forgotten the fact that he does care for you. The problem is not him. The problem is you. God cares for you. He cares about you. Yes, he cares about your eternity. That's why he gave his one and only son as a sacrifice for all the sin that you've ever committed. But he also cares about your life and where you are right now and what's going on in your life. And we see this in the life of Elijah, right after he has just done this awesome thing and God has poured fire down from heaven to consume this altar and show that he is the one true God. 
I mean, if you wanted physical evidence of God, this dude got it. You know what I mean? Like, he saw it today. And he was just in awe of what God had done. But how quickly he forgets. How quickly he forgets. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to read about what happens immediately after Elijah's called fire down from heaven. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah are killed. And then... We see what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is a bit of reading today, which I'm not very good at, so bear with me today. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me in the same time tomorrow if I have not killed you just like you have killed them. She sends word to Elijah, I'm going to have you killed. As a matter of fact, I'm so committed to having you killed. May the gods that I worship, may they kill me tomorrow if I don't have your head on a plate by then. May I be killed if I don't have you killed by tomorrow. This is a dude that just called fire down from heaven. You know what? I'd be like, come at me, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't scared of you, you know? I just called fire down from heaven. God answered my prayer and fire came down from heaven. What are you going to do to me? I mean, that would, that would be our natural response, right? Or maybe our natural response is more like well, what Elijah actually did. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. She must have been awful. You know what I mean? She must have been not nice at all. So bad that, that Ahab didn't threaten Elijah himself. You know what he did? He went and told his woman. He went and told his wife, and his wife is the one that sends out the threat. She must have not been nice. Do not name your daughters Jezebel, by the way, in case you're wondering. You don't want to see that in the nursery, do you? Like the little tag they have on all the babies, you know. You know, all the baby names, they change over the decades and stuff. Oh, there's baby Jezebel, and she's sweet looking. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is a guy that went from being on the highest high, the peak of the, the highest mountain, to now he's praying to God that he might die because some woman has threatened his life. He has forgotten that his life is in God's hands. And here he is, he's terrified to the point where he is praying to God that he might die. Now, one thing I want you to see here is what it says is he a lot in this particular passage. Elijah was afraid for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, where he left his servant. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solid, solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He, he, he. So is he following the direction of the Lord or is he doing what he wants to do? Right now, he's following Elijah. He's not following God. It's he, he, he. For I have had enough, Lord. Once again, the focus is on me, me, me. I've had enough. I have had enough, Lord. He's not saying, Lord, I think you've had enough with, or you're done with me. You've had enough of me. He's saying, I have had enough, Lord. He shifted the focus away from God to now it's him. And he's, he's praying that he might die. 
take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He said, I'm just as useful to you as the people who are already dead. You might as well take my life from me. He's at a low spot very quickly. This is a man called by God. He was on cloud nine, and now he's in the deepest, deepest, darkest valley. I want to tell you the truth. This happens. This happens. This happens to me. This happens to Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is one of the, the greatest preachers in modern history, and he suffered from deep, deep depression. He had lots of things going on in his life that justified that depression, as a matter of fact. His, life, his wife was an invalid for most of his preaching career. He, he would sink into deep places of de depression and he would, he would talk about it. And that's one of the things I admire about Charles Spurgeon is he would talk about the fact that he would be in deep depression. I think that it's a characteristic of being a human being that we are prone to this. And I can say one good thing about Elijah here. At least he's still talking to God. Yeah, he has taken himself out into the wilderness. He made himself alone, first of all. He dropped his servant off, said, you stay here. I'm going alone. And he goes into the wilderness alone, which, by the way, is the worst place for you to be if you're in a place of deep depression, is alone. He goes in solitary and sits under, uh, he sits under a solitary broom tree, right? One broom tree. Not only is he alone, but he's around this one lonely broom tree. I mean, you can just see the desperation here, right? Alone, alone, alone. And there he is. He's crying out to God. He's talking to God. He's like, God, I just want you to take my life from me. I've done everything that, that I'm possibly going to do this good. Just, just kill me now because I'm just as good as dead. But that's not God's plan. Because God cares for Elijah just like God cares for you. If you have ever prayed this prayer, if you're like me and ever prayed this prayer, God cares for you. God cares for you. It says, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. So here he is. I just picture Elijah being in this place under this broom tree, and he lays down to eat. I think that more, or lays down to sleep. I think that's because he didn't want to eat. One of the things that, that people do uh, when they're in a deep state of depression, I don't know if you know this or not, is that they sleep a lot. If you're ever concerned about somebody and you want to know, you know, is it possibly depression? One of the, the key signs of that is the fact that they will sleep a lot. They're trying to block out the world by, by consuming their life with sleep. That's not to say that everybody who likes sleep is depressed. That's not what I'm trying to say because some people just like to sleep. But what I am saying is if somebody changes their pattern in their life and begins to sleep a lot, that's a good indication that they may very well be going through depression, okay? So here he is, he's, he's gone to sleep, and my guess is he's just sleeping because he doesn't want to eat. He just wants to die. Once again, taking things into his own hands, and what does God do? God shows up, and what does he say? He says, get up and eat. It actually says, get up and eat, with an exclamation point. 
This is not a request. This is not, hey, Elijah, if you don't mind, would you put something in your mouth? This is the angel of the Lord saying, get up and eat. That's an authoritative command of God. Get up and eat, Elijah. I really believe that's God saying, I'm not done with you, Elijah. Get up off your rear end. If you are in a place of deep despair right now, then maybe God's shouting at you today through these words that we record, that are recorded through Elijah's life, that God is saying, get up and eat. Get off your rear end. I am here and I care for you. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again and lay down again. He did what God said. The angel of the Lord said, get up me. He said, okay, fine. Check the box. That's what he did. God said, eat. Fine. All right, God. You said, eat. Maybe this is your plan. Maybe you're going to give me some poison here in the bread, and maybe that's how I'll die. Maybe you've answered my prayer. Check the box. Get up and eat. You ever do this? You ever do this? I mean, like those of you that have ever been in a place of depression I'm talking about. God says, pray. Fine, pray. Check the box. I did it. God says, read your Bible. Check. Done it. I read three verses today. Didn't say anything to me. Check the box. God, why, why do you still hate me? You know, why, do you, why don't you go ahead and kill me? I prayed. I read my Bible. I was even nice to two people today. Like, I don't understand. Like, I've checked all the boxes I'm supposed to check. And then what did he do? He laid back down again. God commanded him to get up and eat. And I don't believe that God said, get up and eat and then go back to sleep. I, said, I think he said, get up and eat and then go about the things that I've called you to do. I think that was the indication, although that's not what is recorded here. I think the indication is to get up. To get up, Elijah. He said, fine, I'll do what you, I'll do what you say. I'll check the box. I got up, I ate. All right, I'm laying back down to sleep. I think that the way God works, if I read his word correctly, is it has more to do with the heart and the condition of the heart, and that is what God is after, and that is what God is trying to show you. I think that once you read these words, get up and eat, I think it should have said to Elijah that God has just brought food down from heaven because he cares about me. That God loves me so much, he has given me something to eat and something to drink straight from heaven. Because God cares about me. That should be enough to get us up and to get us moving. Don't you agree? That should be enough for us. I mean, if God brings down a cake to you, and, and I hope it's yellow cake with chocolate icing. If he brings down a cake to you to eat, and I don't know why he would drink water. I think you need milk with cake. But anyway, so if God brings food down from heaven to, to restore you, and that is not enough to motivate you to get up and eat, I think it's a heart condition that you got going on. I think it's not that God doesn't care for you. I think it's that you don't recognize that God cares for you. And that's exactly what's going on with Elijah here. And, and, and when, you, when you read your Bible and you don't do it with an open heart and an open mind ready to receive what God has to say to you through his word, you're just checking a box. When you pray to God and you're not open to the voice of God and listening to God instead of just, just giving him a laundry list of the things that you hate about your life, the issue is not God. The issue is you. 
God loves you enough to listen to you. It literally says in his word that when, when his people cry out to him, he inclines his ear to hear them. I've said this before. I mean, it just blows my mind that the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence would stop his day enough to lean over and say, what is it? What's going on? Here, Elijah's got an angel that has come down and baked him a cake right there on a rock, given him something to drink. And what does he do? So he ate and drank and lay down. He checked the box and said, okay, I'm going back to sleep. Thanks, God. I appreciate it. Then the angel of the Lord came again. You see that? The angel of the Lord came again. Elijah had just basically rejected, said, thanks very much, I appreciate the cake, I'm going back to sleep now. The angel of the Lord came again. God's patient understanding with where we are. This is a beautiful thing, okay? When I get depressed, and maybe I do, read my Bible just to check the box. Or maybe I do pray just to check the box. The beautiful thing is, is that God doesn't stop pursuing me in the place that I'm in. He doesn't give up on me and say, well, I did all I could with him. He's on his own now. He patiently pursued Elijah again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Do it again, Elijah. Or the journey you have ahead of you will be too much for you. I, there is, I could probably preach a whole sermon on just this sentence, okay? I'm just going to say a few things about it, though. He says, get up and eat some more. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. It means that, that, that God recognized that he did it before, and he's doing it again. God is saying, look, I, I was patient with you before and I nourished you back to health before and I'm here to do it again. Go and eat some more. Do it again, Elijah. This time, do it with the right heart. This time, do it differently than what you did before. This time, I want you to recognize something. And this is what he says. He says, you've got a journey ahead of you. Now, he had brought himself into the wilderness. He had sat himself down under that broom tree. He had dropped his servant off. He had done this. He had done that. Now the angel of the Lord is saying, you've got a journey ahead of you. God is patient with you. God understands the place that you're in. He is not upset with you. He cares for you. And he has a journey ahead for you. He says, you brought yourself here, but I've got a journey for you. Now you're going to follow me. The focus shifts from being about Elijah and where he wants to go and what he wants to do and how he wants to pray that he dies to now. Now he's saying, Elijah, I've got a journey for you. You're about to go on a journey and you better eat up. You better get yourself ready to go on this journey. There are so many things that I think that God just shows me through that, that, that I don't even recognize the journeys that God has in store for me. I don't recognize what's going to happen to me 10 years from now. I don't know what's in store for me next week or next year or two years or 10 years or 20 years from now. I don't know that, but God does. And God is nourishing me back to health. He's, he's picking me up out of this dirty, nasty place and trying to, to encourage me so that he can say, you know what, I've got a journey, I've got a plan for you. Don't give up on that plan. 
some people, they, they get down in a, a, a deep, dark place because they think that there's no plan for them. And that's where Elijah was, admittedly. He thought, well, you know what? I've done everything I'm supposed to do. My life is done. I've accomplished what I'm supposed to accomplish. I'm ready to quit now. God, go ahead and take me out. Some people feel like that. But God has so much more in store for Elijah. God cares for you, and he has so much more in store for you. And it's not a brand new car, and it's not a brand new house. It is the ability to proclaim his glory through your life and tell people about how he dug you out of that deep, deep pit of depression where you were, you were just hungry for something to keep you alive and God nourished you back to health and to take that story to the whole world. Oh, what a beautiful journey God has in store for you. Don't give up on his plan and his purpose for your life. He says, Elijah, get up and eat. You've you got a long journey ahead of you. It's going to be too much if you don't get up and eat something. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. God likes 40 days and 40 nights, doesn't he? 40 days and 40 nights to, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Here we see Elijah going into a cave. I really believe that God has brought him to this place before he was, he was following his own will. Now the angel of the Lord has told him, you know what, follow where I am leading you. And he goes, 40 days and 40 nights. This is an obvious indication that God is leading him now, right? I think that the reason of 40 days and 40 nights is to say that God is a part of this journey now. Before it was what Elijah wanted to do. Now this is what God wanted him to do. So he sends him 40 days and 40 nights and he comes to a cave, right? And he spends a night there. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I don't believe that, that this is an indication of, of, of what is he physically doing in that location, I believe that God, as he asks questions so often, he is asking a question of Elijah about his heart condition. Just like when Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? I believe this is a similar indication. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this place in your heart? How have you gotten here, Elijah? Haven't you seen all the things that I've been able to accomplish through you and in your life? And, and I take you on these journeys. What are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah replies to the condition of his heart. Listen to what Elijah says. He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't talk about how he got to the cave. That's not what God was asking, and that's not how Elijah responds. So I want you to understand that God's not asking him, why is he physically located in that place? He's asking Elijah, how did you get to this place of desperation? So Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and have killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So Elijah has gone back to this place of despair a little bit, and he's whining to God. He's whining, that's what he's doing. That's okay. God can handle your whining. At least he's being honest with God. Now his full perspective of God is not there. He's, he doesn't have uh, the right vision of what God is doing in his life, but he's whining to God. He's talking to God. So God doesn't answer his question. Instead, he gives Elijah a command to do something. I love the way that God does stuff. 
He's like, I don't owe you any explanations. You, you think that you understand, but you don't understand like I understand, Elijah. So many times we think that we have this, we think that we know all the answers. That's our problem, is that we think that we know all the answers and we know that God has a plan for us and we thought we figured that all out, but we just, it's just the tip of the iceberg that God shows us. Do you remember what they say in the, the James Bond movies, a need-to-know basis only? I believe that that's how God reveals stuff to us, on a need-to-know basis only. You know, it's like just one little, what's the next step? Do the next step. Do the next thing. And here he says, God gives him a command. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty wind hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So all of these ways that we expect God to speak to us sometimes, that's not exactly how God does it. Sometimes it's in a gentle whisper, a whisper straight to our soul, something that draws us into him, something that helps us to recognize that's my Lord talking right there. You know what you need to do? In your place of de uh, desperation, your place of depression that sometimes you may get in, into from time to time, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to his voice. There's a thousand voices that are telling you bad, awful, terrible things about you. There are a thousand voices that are telling you you're not loved, you're not wanted, your health is deteriorating, your family's falling apart, people don't love you, they don't care for you, they've turned their back on you, they've stabbed you in the back. Some of your best friends don't even care for you. There must be something wrong with you. There must be an issue with your heart, with your soul. And God is saying here, listen to my voice. It's a whisper, but listen to my voice. It always seems like the voices that are loudest in our heads when we're not as connected to God are the voices all around us and not the voice of God. Am I right? Like he's way off in the distance somewhere and he's whispering. And here God is showing Elijah that, that man, I am in this whisper. I am in this whisper. So, so Elijah goes out. And he stands there and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same question. This is obviously God talking because it was the same question that was asked before. And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me too. So he's repeating himself as if God didn't hear him the first time. God is allowing him to whine, which is fine, but at the same time, we've got to recognize that God knows your circumstance. He heard you the first time. As a matter of fact, he didn't even need you to speak it to him the first time. He's just letting you vent a little bit. And here, Elijah just has not, he hasn't gotten it yet. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and traveled to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrived there, anoint Hazel to the king of Aram. And anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, to the, to the from the town of Abel-Meloah, to replace you as my prophet. 
Anyone who escapes Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who, are, who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Wow, that was deep. We need a little explanation on that one, Kenny. Can you help us out a little bit with that? <laughs> I love it. You know what God says? I can summarize all this really quickly. There's still work for you to do, Elisha. You see, I'm giving you a little bit of my plan and the things that I've got for you to do, and those are just in the immediate future. You, you've still got another prophet to anoint. You've still got to anoint Elisha who will follow after you. you you've still got kings to anoint. You've still got, got people and, and, and things that are going to happen in your life that, that you can't see right now, but they're there. I've got a plan, and I know that you think that, that everybody's corrupt and everybody is bad and, and, and everybody's done everything wrong, but he even goes on to say, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. He said, not everybody's corrupt, Elijah. Your perspective is wrong. You can't see what I see. The way that you think is not the way that I think. You know what our problem is sometimes? And we think we got all the answers. We think we know. I mean, the only reason we think we're at the end of our rope is because we think we're at the end of our rope. The only reason we think that, that, that our lives are done and, and we might as well be dead is because we think that our lives are done and we might as well be dead. Does that make sense? But that's not what God has said. That's not at all what God has said. God has said this. He says, when you surrender your life to me, your life belongs to me. When you say that I am your God, then you are no longer your God. I am your God. It is no longer I live, but Christ that lives within me. So when you say that, when you fully surrender to God, I want you to know that when you put your life in his hands, you're not at the end of your rope till he says you're at the end of your rope. And he cares about you enough to tell you that. He brought you here today to tell you that. But your life isn't done until I say it's done. That I care about you and I want you to be healthy and I want you to, to push forward for the kingdom of God. I want you to know that I care about you deeply. I, I want you to know that, that you're important to me. That even when you're in those low places, when you're in that place of desperation, that, that you don't know how there's ever going to be a way out. I'm here for you. I'm nourishing you back to health. I, I, I want you to talk to me. I want you to come back to me, but I want you to listen to me. Stop listening to those thousand other voices that are telling you something different than what I'm telling you. You listen to my whisper. You listen to the things that I'm telling you. You see, today, you'll, you'll get 30 minutes of hearing God talk to you. And then you'll get the other seven days of your week listening to all those other voices that are going to tell you something else. But God says, I want you to listen to the whisper. I want you to take this 30 minutes that we've just spent reading his word. And I want you to recognize how I cared for Elijah and I nursed him back to health. But he had to listen to me. I've got plans and i got promises, but he had to listen to me. For you and your life, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to him. Today, he's whispered to you. And you have a choice. You have a choice about whether you respond to him or not. He always gives you the option. Today, I pray that you'll respond to it.
You just listen to him. You'll draw close to him. You'll remember today because he cares for you.